five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Otic, and we are back. It is Wednesday, November 28th, 2018. Another huge midweek episode of Inside You. Lots of college sports to get excited about right now. Obviously, the ACC Big Ten challenge, what everyone wants to talk about right now in college basketball. And we'll conclude this episode with breaking down this weekend's top power excuse me, group of five college football champions games. So let's get right into it. First things first, as always, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that Nevada would defeat Loyola Chicago. Final score, they're 79 to 16, 65. Eric Musselman's team up 44-28 at half. The Martin brothers, Caleb having 21, Cody having 20, and really getting ahead here and never looking back. That is the only non-ACC Big Ten Challenge game that we're going to break down today, so let's get into the ACC Big Ten Challenge then. Starting off, I was wrong that Louisville would lose to Michigan State. Final score, they're 82-70 in overtime. Very much a resurgent Michigan State team we've seen in the last few games here, and in this game, it looked like Tom Izzo's team was going to get the job done. But following following Winston, Cassius Winston's fouling out, really the Spartans never were able to put it together at that point. And even with efforts by Joshua Langford and Kenny Goins to pull off the upset, excuse me, pull off the victory for the Spartans, Izzo's team was never able to get the job done. Ryan McMahon for the Cardinals, 40, 24 points, four three-pointers. And this was the huge signature win that Chris Mack was looking for. Certainly going to be a struggling year for the Cards. Definitely looking at their team, you see a noticeable discrepancy in the talent between them and some of the other top ACC teams, obviously Duke being the biggest one, but this is a team that's playing hard. It was nice seeing the fans in the KFC Yum Center energized and excited, and they now have their big signature win over number nine, Michigan State. So kudos to Chris Mack and his team. Then I was right that Duke would defeat Indiana. Final score there, 90-69. to Duke showing a lot more press than they had previously, like I hoped they would following that loss to Gonzaga. Certainly, though, this was a game where we saw what I think you could call some coasting by the Blue Devils. They got ahead here, knew that they could just score at will in transition and never really looked back on that. Still showed some of the struggles with that defense, especially in the half court. There were long periods in the second half in particular where it looked like they almost took plays off, just hoping to get out into transition and have another highlight real duck. Zion Williams, 25 points. Obviously, the dunk falling off the steal of Fritzner was really the play that everyone was talking about following that game. Conversely, Romeo Langford for the Hoosiers, 13 points, 3 of 15 shooting. And I want to spend a moment to talk about why this game was crucial. You know, normally in the college basketball season, players will go long periods of time without playing anyone else really of NBA-level talent. Right now, the biggest player that comes to mind right there is probably Ethan Happ for the Wisconsin Badgers. But with this Duke team likely having three, four, possibly even five lottery picks in there on that team right there, we're going to now see NBA scouts be able to judge the other team's best player against those players. In this case, Romeo Lamford did not perform as well as you would have hoped for a guy that was projected to be the one of the top five players coming out of high school this last year. Conversely, obviously, Rue Hachimura doing a great job to improve his draft stock with his 20-point performance against the Blue Devils in the Maui Invitational. So really interesting to see. I think going out of this game, We're going to continue to see the Blue Devils really probably favored in just about every game they play the rest of the season. Other than those two meetings with Virginia, which don't happen until February at the earliest, really hard to see Coach K's team struggling, barring just a complete off-night shooting. Then I was wrong that Clemson would defeat Nebraska. Final score there, 68-66. to Palmer had 20, Copeland had 16, and even with the late surge by the Tigers, Nebraska, Tim, 
Miles' team able to get the job done. And this was the big win that Nebraska's last year team lacked. They got a win on the road at Clemson, and that should go a long way towards their hopes of making the tournament comes year end. Then I was right that FSU would defeat Purdue. Final score there, 73-72. to FSU, though, up 12 at half, looking like they could easily put the game away. But Purdue showing a nice resilience, getting it back, even leading for a long period of time and looking like they could put it away at the end. But FSU was able to come together and get the job done there winning that one by one and pulling off a nice come from behind victory in a game that really should have never been close. Then I was wrong that Maryland would defeat UVA. Final score there, 76 to 71. UVA actually showing a lot of man to man in this game, which was kind of surprising. Maryland certainly though, probably of the teams that lost in this ACC Big Ten Challenge impressed me the most. A lot of athleticism on the team, a lot of very much a team that I think could be poised to be a sleeper in that Big Ten conference right there. But really with the athleticism and with Anthony Cowan having 15 points, not really able to match up with the for, with the Cavaliers for long periods of time. Jack Salt was just a monster on the boards all night. He had multiple tip-ins, tip-in dunks, and really a case where if you didn't box him out, you almost had to expect him putting back one for an easy layup. Maryland, like I said, certainly even leading the Cavaliers at one point, still looked like they need about one big player to really compete with those elite teams. They've got Cowan and they've got Bruno who had a nice little ball fake crab dribble and then dunk late in the game, but they still need one more player to show up if they're really going to compete. But I think this might be that sleeper team that we've been looking for in the Big Ten right now. And like I've said before, this Big Ten really is wide open right now. Maybe if they can put some things together, who knows what they could do comes year end. Then I was right that Maryland, excuse me, Michigan, Michigan would defeat North Carolina. Final score there, 84 to 67. UNC up 21 to 13 at one point, but Michigan showing a nice resilience. They kicked it to 39-35 at half. And with this new Michigan team showing that fast style, they like to get out into transition. Bradzinski likes to shoot threes. Jordan Poole likes to get out and lead the break. And this is a different Jim Bailey team than we were used to seeing last season, showing that they can really run with anybody. And with this game, with this victory over the Tar Heels and their victory a couple of weeks ago over Villanova, certainly right there in probably the top four or five teams right now in the country. Then finally, I was wrong that Ohio State would defeat Syracuse. Final score there, 72-62. to 62. Ohio State early on had, was able to exploit some of the weaknesses in Jane Beheim's team's zone. They had a nice little backdoor dunk early on, but following some adjustments made by Beheim, that zone really tightened up. Tyus battled 20 points and a huge three, which in my opinion broke the game open for the Orange. And with that, they got a nice road victory after a less than impressive performance in the 2K Empire Classic a couple of weeks ago. Four and four on the picks for the last few days. And just like the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I finished 500. So that moves us along to my Heisman Trophy picks. Heisman ballots due December 3rd, which means this will be the last official ranking before the ballots are due next Monday. No surprise, Tua Tagovailoa in first. They're 12-0. He had six touchdowns for the weekend, five through the year for 324 yards and one running. And it was interesting because for the first time all season, following Kyler Murray's performance on Friday night against West Virginia, again, three touchdowns to one interception passing, 364 yards. And the real impressive stat, one touchdown and 114 yards on the ground. He accounted for four after that crazy scoring victory over West Virginia at West Virginia. It looked like Murray finally might have done enough to overtake Tua. But then Tua went out and said, oh, Kyler, you think that's cool? Check this out. And put up six touchdowns against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. So going into this weekend, 
barring just an absolute collapse by Tagovailoa, assuming he continues to play like he has all season, probably going to be with be the Heisman Trophy winner there. And the real story now is who gets that third finalist spot. Obviously, it probably comes down to either Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback, or Will Greer. Haskins 11-1, having a huge win over the number four ranked Michigan team and the number one defense in the country. Six touchdowns and 369 yards. And looking at that performance, really probably the most impressive performance of the weekend of these three quarterbacks. Now, comparing Greer and Haskins, Ohio State 11-1, West Virginia 10-2. Both teams, both of these guys had games where they looked out of sorts. Haskins against Purdue, Greer against Iowa State. But Greer also struggled against Kansas. And more importantly, he does have two losses on his record. So looking at the those combined records and just the performances last week. And while both were impressive, Haskins getting the job done and doing it against the number one defense in the country. Conversely, the Sooners having one of the most lauded defenses in the country for how bad they have played compared to their offense. And so for that reason, I think Dwayne gets the number three spot there. So go looking at this weekend, the last opportunities for these guys to really impress. Tua Tagovailoa taking on the number four Georgia Bulldogs. Certainly going to be an interesting game, a fun game, a rematch of not only last year's college football, a rematch of last year's college football playoff championship game there. A lot of emotion on both sides. Kyler Murray taking on the number 14 Texas team, a game that they lost earlier in the season, 45-48. to They're going to be coming out in a vengeance, looking to not only win the Big 12 championship, but also assure themselves of a spot in the college football playoff. And then Ohio State taking on number 21, Northwestern. So all three of these guys have one last opportunity to try and improve their stock among Heisman voters. But barring an absolute meltdown by Tag of Low, it's hard to see him not winning the trophy there. So that moves us along the top stories in college sports right now. Obviously, last night, the second to last college football playoff rankings came out before Selection Sunday this Sunday. No surprise, the top four, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia. Then five was Oklahoma, six Ohio State. And this is now the situation we're in where that top four, obviously Alabama and Georgia play each other this weekend. Everyone said, well, what if Alabama wins? They likely, like last season, received the unequivocally better tag, still end up making the playoff as the four team. And again, the Big Ten and Big 12 and Pac-12 for that matter will be shut out of the playoff. However, we also have to consider the situation where what if Alabama wins? But for whatever reason, Oklahoma and Ohio State were to both lose. I've said it before, Northwestern is not a team that the Buckeyes want to sleep on. They've shown a lot of resilience this year, overcome a lot of adversity. This might just be the right time for them to catch this Buckeyes team. The Sooners, on the other hand, have had a notoriously bad defense all year long. They've already lost to the Longhorns. The Longhorns really know they're not going to the college football playoff. They're just playing this one for pride and the shot of finally getting their first Big 12 championship here. So... If they were to lose, who ends up taking that number four seed? Assuming Georgia's blown out by the Crimson Tide, I don't see them working their way back in there, which then leaves us number seven, Michigan, number eight, UCF, and number nine, Georgia. Now, even if UCF were to win out, given that Mackenzie Milton is done for the year with the unfortunate season-ending and possibly even career-ending injury he suffered against South Florida this last weekend, I just don't see the committee giving them the nod. That then makes you wonder whether a two-loss Michigan or a two-loss Georgia should work their way into the playoff. Obviously, if the Bulldogs get blown out 
even though their only two losses would be to a number one ranked Alabama and a number 10 LSU, hard to see them getting in there. So then that leads us to whether a 10 and two Michigan team, which up until this last weekend had the number one defense in the nation and has losses to number three, Notre Dame and number six, Ohio state gets the nod there. Most likely who I see happening, what I see happening is the Wolverines in fact, finding their way into the playoff against all odds. Obviously, if Georgia were to lose in a very controversial and close manner to Alabama, there's a chance they retain that number four ranking because when you look past those initial 9-10 teams, then you've got Florida at 9-3, LSU at 9-3, and and Washington at 9-3. Washington realistically has no shot of making the playoff. LSU is certainly questionable. They've lost two in just the last few weeks getting starched by Alabama and then losing a 74-72 affair to A&M last season. And then Florida, even with their win over Florida State and ending the Seminoles bull streak, I just don't see them working their way into the playoff with losses to Kentucky. With losses to Kentucky and the other teams that they lost to this year. So then looking at the group of six, and this is probably the most intriguing thing we have to look at this weekend outside of these championship games is the situation where what if UCF were to lose in case you're unaware the highest ranking group of six conference champion is assured a new year's six bowl i.e you have to win your conference to be guaranteed the right to play in a group of six new year's six bowl whatever you want to call it if central florida were to lose that means it would come down to the winner of boise state and fresno state in the mountain west conference championship game And one of those teams would likely end up playing on New Year's Day. Certainly very interesting given that looking at the Central Florida team, while they are 11-0, they did struggle to defeat Memphis the first time they played them, only winning 31-30 following a Herculean effort by Mackenzie Milton. Without him, you have to wonder if this Central Florida team will be able to rally and get the job done against the Tigers. But if they were to lose, again, the winner of that Boise State-Fresno State game would end up representing the group of five in a New Year's Six Bowl. Of those two teams, I think Boise State matches up better with whoever their Power Five opponent would be. So I'm going to be rooting for the Broncos, but certainly another interesting subplot to this weekend. So that moves along to the coaching carousel, which has continued to spun. Jake Spavitol, the former the former West Virginia and Texas A&M offensive coordinator, is headed to Texas State. Well, he's going to be the new head coach. He's taking over for Everett Withers, who was 7-28 in his three years there. What makes this move interesting for me is whether it foreshadows head coach Daniel Holgerson also making a move from Morgantown. Remember, he's already been linked to the Colorado job. Will Greer is leaving after this year, as well as some of the better pieces there. Maybe he decides that without his offensive coordinator, it's good for him to make a move too. Then the other big coaching hire in the last few days, Scott Loeffler, Boston College's offensive coordinator, has agreed to become the new head coach at Bowling Green. He takes over from Mike Jinks, who was 7-24 in his time there as head coach. And this is a guy who has lots of ties to the Midwest. He was the former quarterbacks coach at both Central Michigan and for the Detroit Lions. And he's been the offensive coordinator for a who's who of college football at Temple, Auburn, Virginia Tech, and obviously Boston College. And for a program that's put a number of the top head coaches out there at the Power 5 level, the biggest two and most recent being Dino Babers at Syracuse. And then Wake Forest is head coach, certainly hoping that this is the move that will get them back to their winning ways. So that moves us along to USC, my alma mater. 
Head coach Clay Health announcing a number of changes to his staff. Team Arn, the Trojans offensive coordinator, is out. Kenichi Udezi, the defensive line coach, is out. Ronnie Brer for the, the defensive backs coach is out. And Brian Ellis is leaving, likely going to become the offensive coordinator for Helton's brother, Tyson, at Western Kentucky, where he was just named the head coach. Looking at these changes, though, you have to wonder where some of these guys might end up. Obviously, T. Martin possibly working his way back to Tennessee, where he played himself. He was rumored to be an outside shot of getting that head coaching job over Pruitt in this past offseason. Maybe he works his way back there, especially with Tyson Hilton having departed for Western Kentucky. But also then looking at some of these changes, I really have to wonder with USC whether it's simply a matter of coaching. You know, in the press conference, excuse me, in the official statement they passed out on Sunday, following the Trojans' loss to Notre Dame, they cited Notre Dame as a school that had gone through its own struggles recently, stayed with their head coach, and experienced monumental success because of it. But Notre Dame's really not a great program to compare USC against, other than them both being private schools, completely different situation in terms of academic rigorosity, the requirements and difficulties of getting players into the program, it being a Midwestern school that even with it having the Notre Dame name, obviously going to be a little bit more difficult recruiting a kid to South Bend than it is to Southern California, and not being in a conference. Also looking at some of these positions and players that have come out of USC in recent years, Defensive lineman Leonard Williams in 2015 was a first-round pick. Nelson Aguilar in 2015 was a new first-round pick. Adoree Jackson, who's probably the most lauded player apart from Sam Darnold during Clay Martin's tenure, was a first-round pick in 2017. Matt Khalil was a first-round pick as an offensive lineman in 2012. And then obviously Sam Darnold, who was recruited primarily by Justin Wilcox, who's now the head coach at Cal and head coach Steve Sarkeesian. These are all guys that were recruited at least predominantly prior to Helton's arriving at USC. Well, he's done a great job essentially getting the program through the added turmoil compiled on due to the Steve Sarkeesian fallout. I just have to wonder whether they're making the right choice sticking behind him here. I don't think it's just simply a matter of coaching. Looking at whenever USC plays a really top Bluebird program in the last few years, whether it was Alabama to open the season a couple of years ago, or Ohio State last weekend, whenever they play someone out of conference that's a recognized team, or even Texas this last year, you really then finally do see the difference in USC and some of the other schools, and that it's simply a matter of recruiting. And unfortunately, I just don't think with Helton's personality the way it is that he can ever become that effective recruiter that USC should need and should be able to turn out top recruiting classes. But obviously, we're going to see. And then a bit of sad news for anyone who's a fan of the triple option. Paul Johnson is stepping down after Georgia Tech's bowl game. He's been at Georgia Tech for 11 seasons, compiling an 82-59 and 59 record. Not too surprising, though. All year long, it was rumored that he might be stepping down or be fired at the end of the year. They're 7-5 and five with a chance to win eight games this year. And looking at who else might be out there to replace him, Ken Weisenhut, the Chargers offensive coordinator who played under Johnson, and then obviously Jeff Markin at Army, who has a chance of winning 10 games for the second year in a row. Looking at this, though, I think this is more symptomatic of the Bill Snyder situation where even though the school is grateful to the coach for what they've done and for everything they've done for the program, maybe it's time even if they like the guy for them to move on. Obviously, Johnson knew it was time to go. I don't know if Bill Snyder will have the same presence of mind to do the same. And then disappointing news for anybody who's a fan of Louisville, Jeff Brom is staying at Purdue. He said, quote, the timing was not ideal for him to return to his alma mater, Louisville. 
and now with his turning down the Cardinals, which I don't think was that surprising given that he's been essentially telegraphing this announcement for the last few weeks. Scott Satterfield, the ordinary Brown, become most likely the two favorites to take that job. Neil Brown, though, having not made himself a big fan among many Louisville fans for comments he made while at Kentucky as an offensive coordinator a couple years back, and given that Scott Satterfield, Appalachian State's head coach, likely the favorite to end up taking that job. That moves us along to college basketball. Coach K following Gonzaga's loss to excuse me, following Duke's loss to Gonzaga in the Mount Invitational, coming out and essentially chiding Duke's fans for overblown expectations, essentially saying that these were a bunch of 19-year-old kids who were struggling to adjust to the college basketball game and that they shouldn't put such high expectations on this team. Looking at Duke's schedule, though, many of these expectations are correct. I mean, it's hard to see them, like I said earlier, not being favored in any of their games going forward, except possibly when they travel to Virginia. And that game's not until February. Between now and then, they could go a long way towards improving their defensive deficiencies and really smoothing out their press full court and just kind of figuring out their roles for each other on the floor. Also, these comments by Coach K for me are a little bit disingenuous, given that this is the same guy who signed off on a documentary called Earn Everything, which essentially gives us an inside look into Duke's program. And we see advertised for 19 times a day on ESPN. So if anyone's done anything to essentially blow up these overhyped expectations, it's Coach K himself. So that moves us along to college basketball and previewing this weekend's top games. Friday night, we've got Michigan State traveling to Rutgers. Michigan State coming off a tough loss to Louisville. Rutgers beating Miami in a close game. Certainly, this one could get a lot closer than expected. The Spartans, while they played better recently, have still been up and down. But I think Tom Izzo's team gets the job done there. Then also on Friday, Mississippi State traveling to Dayton. Dayton coming off losses to Virginia and Oklahoma, but they pushed UVA to the brink. They showed a lot of holes in UVA's zone defense. Michigan State, on the other hand, this is their first real road test. They're 5-1, and one, and I think the Flyers pull off the upset here. Then also Friday, we've got Wisconsin traveling to Iowa in Big Ten play. Wisconsin beating NC State 79-75. Iowa beating Pitt 69-68. Both these teams do the same thing. They're really about ball control, playing their speed, not forcing things, making their team kind of bend to their will. But I think Wisconsin with Ethan Happ is just going to be able to do a little bit more, a little bit more of an advanced style of play than the Hawkeyes here in Jordan Bohannon. So I've got the Badgers winning that game. Then on Saturday, we've got Purdue traveling to Michigan. Purdue losing to Florida State, but showing good resilience in the loss. Michigan beating UNC, though, and really that Michigan victory over UNC just showed that Michigan's at a different level here, and Jim Bayheim's team should have no trouble pulling off the victory there. Then Penn State traveling to Maryland. Penn State coming off an upset in number 16, Virginia Tech. Final score there, 63-62. Maryland coming off a loss to UVA that I spoke about earlier. But both these teams should take these losses as confidence confidence builders, assuming they take them correctly. Penn State winning at home over a very good Virginia Tech team. Maryland really pushing the Cavaliers to the brink and having their opportunities to at least make that score a little more competitive towards the end there. For that reason, I take this Terrafins team. I think they're going to come out motivated after the loss, realize how good they are, and get the job done. Then Stanford traveling to Kansas. Kansas beating Tennessee. One of the other top SEC teams, 87-81. Stanford, they're 4-3. Certainly better than expected given that they lost Reed Travis to Kentucky. But Kansas is just on another level here, and they should have no problem getting the job done. Then on Sunday, we've got Minnesota traveling to Ohio State. 
Patino's team losing to Boston College 68-56. Ohio State losing to Syracuse 72-62. And watching these two teams recently, I can just tell you that Ohio State slightly further along. Similar situation to Wisconsin and Iowa, where both teams look to do a lot of the same things, but the Buckeyes are just a little bit better at this point. And then on Monday night, another huge Big Ten showdown, Iowa traveling to Michigan State. And here I just think the combination of Winston, Langford, and Goins is going to outdo Jordan Bohannon. They should get the job done there. And then lastly, one last game, Rutgers traveling to Wisconsin. And I think Ethan Happ is going to have a huge game here, leading the Badgers to victory. So that moves us along to college football. This weekend we have all of the group of five conference championship games. Kicking things off on Friday night, we have the MAC championship, Northern Illinois traveling to Buffalo. Buffalo three-and-a-half-point favorites there. Northern Illinois enters the game 7-5, and five, but they're coming off a two-game losing streak to Miami, Ohio, and Western Michigan. They haven't put up more than 40 points all season. Buffalo in those hand 10-2. Their loss is coming to Ohio, Frank Solich's team, 52-17, and then Army Jeff Munkin's team, who has a chance of winning 10 games this year. This is very much a case of off, a great offensive team versus a great defensive team. Against Ohio, the Blue Raiders were absolutely just flummoxed by Frank Solich's pressure and the offensive combination of Poppy White and their quarterback that really just took apart the Blue Raiders' safeties. But Northern Illinois doesn't have nearly as powerful an offense as the Blue Raiders, and I think Buffalo gets the job done there. Then, on Saturday, a Sun Belt Conference showdown between Louisiana and Appalachian State. Louisiana favored by 16.5. Louisiana enters, excuse me, Appalachian State favored by 16.5. Louisiana enters the game 7 and 5, but they lost to Troy a couple of weeks ago, 26 to 16. Looking at these two teams, Louisiana is just a step below of Appalachian State right now, who's 9 and 4. They're on a four game win streak. And really, the only reason that Appalachian State loses this game is if the players buy into the talk about possibly their head coach leaving. They don't show up focused and they let Billy Napier's team get ahead here and give themselves a shot at winning. But I think Appalachian State gets the job done. Then, in the Conference USA, a repeat of last weekend's game, UAB traveling to Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee, a point and a half favorites there. UAB is 9-3 on a two-game losing streak to Texas A&M and Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee, 8-4 and four with losses to Kentucky, one of them coming 23-34. to 34. Like I said, this was a replay of last week's game, which Middle Tennessee won 27-3. And for Bill Clark's team, I think we're going to see them show that trademark resilience that they've seen all year. This is their second season back from being banned as a program. Excuse me, disbanded as a program. I think the Blazers come out, pull off the upset here, and get the job done, pushing them to 10 wins and hopefully a nice bowl game in the offseason. Then, like I mentioned earlier in the American Athletic Conference Championship game, Memphis traveling to UCF. UCF favored by three. Memphis is 8-4 coming off a 52-31 blowout of Houston. UCF is 11-0, but they do not have Mackenzie Milton, who, like I said earlier, suffered a season, possibly career-ending injury against South Florida. A bit of good news from Milton. He's had blood restored in his leg that he suffered the injury on, and he had, will have reconstructive surgery scheduled for a later date. But he, at the very moment, appears to be on the path towards hopefully at least recovering one day being able to walk again who knows about his playing career but we'll continue to think of him and pray for his recovery really though this is a question of whether you think Daryl Mack can outrule the Memphis Tigers Daryl Henderson Mack fortunately to his credit already started one game for the Golden Knights this year against ECU winning that one 37 to 10 and he did play the majority of the game against South Florida but 
against this Memphis Tigers team, who, like I said, should have beaten the Golden Knights early in the season, losing close 31-30. to I think you're going to see Mike Norvell's team get the job done and the Golden Knights' perfect season and move themselves toward potentially getting a nice bowl game to play in in bowl season. Then in the Mountain West Conference Championship game, we've got Fresno traveling to Boise State. Boise State favored by 2.5. Boise State's 10-2. and two. The last time these two teams played a couple of weeks ago, Boise won 24 to 17. They also coming off a victory over Utah State 33 to 24. Utah State, Matt Wells' team, has been a darling of the group of six this year. Fresno, excuse me, group of five this year. Fresno State, they're 10 and 2. They're on a two-game win streak over San Diego State and San Jose State, but I just don't see the Bulldogs' success continuing to a non-California school. The Broncos are 9 and 1 at home on the Blue Turf. And I see Brian Harris's team getting the victory done here, which could potentially be Harrison's last victory on the blue turf. And then finally, for a bit of fun, given that we've got a lot of games that were rescheduled due to either inclement weather or a fire this weekend, looking at the rescheduled games, if I have to pick one where I think the team will upset, I'm picking Marshall to upset Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, three and a half point favorites there. Marshall's eight and three and on a three game winning streak. And they did beat Old Dominion 42 to 20. Remember, Old Dominion absolutely decimated the Hokies early in the season. The Hokies are 5-6, and six, but coming off a 34-31 victory in overtime over UVA. And this is a Hokies team that is playing to really extend their bull streak. But I think the Herd get the job done here, pulling off the upset. And like Florida State, Virginia Tech, unfortunately, bull streak will come to an end. So that's it for me today, guys. Another huge weekend in college sports. A lot of things will get decided this weekend in college football for the Heisman Trophy. And then in college basketball, we're going to continue to see the stratification of the teams as these teams further improve, look to improve their records and separate themselves. So I'll be back on Monday to discuss all of this weekend's action to update you on Selection Sunday and which teams will be going where. And as always, to start things off with my trademark, I was right and I was wrong. So you guys have a great weekend. A lot of sports to get excited about. Hope you enjoy them and I'll see you soon. Bye.